it's kind of hard to be that guy. And by that guy, I mean the one who the Lord chooses to speak through to people who don't really want to listen. Um, And you might be saying, well, why is it hard? I mean, why would it be hard to do that? Well, especially when I was around, the whole concept of God speaking was really foreign to people. And I'll tell you why. Very simply because we were a powerful nation. We were a prosperous nation. We were full of national pride. And the temples were full of people having prayer meetings. And you might be wondering, well, why would that be difficult? Why would it be hard to give God's messages to that people? Sounds right. Sounds good. Well, here's the deal. That power... That prosperity, that national pride, we had done it on our own, completely apart from Him. It's like we had forgotten something. It's like those things that should have made it easy for me were actually making them very difficult. You know, I, I had thought and I had argued with God. I said, well, why couldn't I have been a prophet during a time when Israel was doing what they were supposed to be doing? boy, Israel. Keep doing what you're doing. Nobody likes to hear, stop doing what you're doing. Everyone hates that. So you can imagine why my job was a little difficult. Now, don't let the power and the prosperity fool you, because at the time, if you had enough money, you could get whatever you wanted. Whether it be in the government, you could bribe your way and you could get what you wanted that that way, or, or you know what, you could go to the temple and just pay off enough people, and you would look spiritual. I mean, you would actually look like you cared about what God was doing. The temples were full of people. They were full of wealthy people, but not to care for the poor, not to care for the oppressed. They were there to worship themselves. Say, look what I did. They had this outward appearance of righteousness, this outward I want you to think I'm spiritual. But inside they were corrupt and nasty and they could have cared less about God. Now, what's interesting about this is I would have thought that the people who should have cared most that the temples were full of people who didn't care about God would have cared. I thought the priests would have had something to say about this. Because it was ugly. But you know the funny thing was? Was that the priests looked right past it. They had been telling people the lie, everything is okay. So much so, that they were beginning to believe it. Their message to the people was, everything is cool. And the people loved it. It's what they wanted to hear. Priests were spoon feeding them, just handing it to them. Everything's okay. No, it's not okay. Don't you see what's going on? Don't you see the people drinking themselves silly on the altar steps? Don't you see this? Don't you see the temple prostitutes? These people walking in and out of this building selling themselves to the highest bidder? Do you understand that there were people who would sleep with these people, sleep with these prostitutes, because they felt that it would guarantee growth 
in their businesses, and in their crops, and with their cattle, and in their personal lives. Temple prostitution was a huge deal. And people were willing to pay big for it. We were a nation who was addicted, if you will, to cheap gods. And I literally mean cheap gods. I remember being in the marketplace watching this man with his own hands take a piece of wood, carve it down to a little statue, put it on his table, and label it a god. And then I watched a man walk up to this table, purchase this, and walk away. Anything you wanted in a god, you could get in my city. Anything. It's like I wanted to stand on something. I just wanted to jump off of a chair or onto a table and just say, here's a clue. If you can make your own God with your hands, it ain't God. Like, I really did. I didn't know how to say it. I wanted to say it, but it was just one of those things where the Lord hadn't really said it to me yet. I knew something was going to come. Because I pay attention. And I've seen how our nation works. We're really good at listening to God. And then we listen to Him for a little bit. And then we get powerful. And then we get prideful. And then we forget Him. And then He says, don't forget me. And we say, we forgot you. That's when the messages start coming. That's when the messages of Hosea, shut your mouth, responses come. Don't get me wrong. Things weren't perfect in our kingdom. Even our people knew that there was the rumblings of an Assyrian attack. A nation close to us wanted to come in, take from us what was ours, and destroy us. I kind of thought this was a good thing. Hey, this will get us back in our knees. This will get us saying, God, please help us. We have nowhere else to turn. But do you know what we did? We said, hey, Egypt, would you help us? We looked at the little nations around us. We're like, would you help us? We even wrote Assyria a letter begging them not to destroy us. Who's ever done that? We didn't even think about it. We didn't even look to God. It wasn't even a thought. And you know what was crazy? The reason he wasn't a thought is because everybody saw all the power and the money and all the wealth and all the stuff. We didn't look at him once. We'd completely forgotten him. There comes a time when you just get so fed up and frustrated you don't know what to say. But then it happened. I can remember sitting there, like, I remember just kind of being like, okay, God, you got to say something, because I got to say something. I don't know what to say, but you got to say it. You got to say it. And I remember watching the other prophets, because it was a big deal when the Lord spoke. And you don't forget the first time he speaks. You don't. I remember it. I was sitting there. I was writing. I was praying. I was going, God, please do something. And then he did it. He said, Hosea. It's like, this is it. This is it. He's going to give me something to say. Alright, God, hit me with it. Hosea, find yourself a prostitute and marry her. I'm not, okay, maybe it was the excitement and the blood rush in my head that you were going to speak. Uh, 
It went about as well as it could have. I walked up to her. I introduced myself. She used words that I had never heard before in my entire life. Scared me, and I walked away. Uh, that, was, that was it. But what was funny about it was God, he kept saying, pursue her as I have pursued you. Pursue her as I have pursued you. And what was crazy about this whole thing was I started to understand that she had never really understood pursuit. In the line of business that she was in, she had understood being conquered, not being pursued. So it was foreign to her. So I pursued her. Brought her flowers, brought her perfumes, jewelry. I wrote her poems. She thought they were cheesy. I, uh, I even brought my ghetto blaster down there and held it over my head. Played her a song in front of all of her friends. She was embarrassed by it, but I could see something happening. Walls were coming down. It was crazy to watch, but I was getting closer. And what was funny, you know, our, our wedding, it's probably what you would have pictured in a, a prophet and a prostitute wedding. Uh, <laughs> crowd was pretty rough, but... Um, you know, her parents weren't there. She had no family. My parents weren't coming. Uh, but the media was there. They were taking pictures. Headlines were already started. They were calling us the prophet and the prostitute. It was a catchy name. It was kind of starting to, to tick me off a little just because, yeah, that's what she did, but that's not who she was anymore. We were starting new. You know, shortly after we were married, we had our first kid. <clears throat> And it's one of those things, when you're a parent, you want to name your kid. Like, that is something you sweat over, you pour over, you get the books, you read the, you go and find out what a name means. Because you want to make sure that your kid's name means something awesome. What do you want this kid to be known by? And uh, before we could name our first child, the Lord spoke again. And he said, I want you to name your son, Jezreel. I had a problem with that. Here's why. God, you know everything. You do know that Jezreel is a valley where mass murder was committed, right? You do know that. And you want me to name my kid Jezreel. Are you kidding me? Really? Jezreel. And he said, here's why. He said, I am going to strip Israel of all of her power, her puffed up arrogance. I'm going to take it all away in that same valley. I want you to name your son Jezreel. Really? I guess there's always the next kid. Well, shortly after that, we were pregnant again, and son was a little girl. I was beginning to kind of get anxious. I was like, God, please don't let me, please don't name my second kid. I can take care of this on my own. Please don't name my second kid. And wouldn't you know it? Isaiah. Oh, come on. Really? He said, I want you to name your daughter No Mercy. 
God, you do know that the popular name is Mercy, not No Mercy. Nobody wants to name their kid No Mercy. That's just stupid. Why would anyone do that? And here's why. Because I'm going to show no mercy to you, a rebellious people. God, seriously, I knew that my life was going to be difficult as a prophet. I knew it. But not my kids. My kids are going to catch it forever. Those are their names. They're going to get made fun of. They're going to get mocked. Their names. After no mercy was weaned, we had another son. And this time I didn't even, I lost all hope. I was like, he's going to name this kid out. Who knows what? Nothing could have prepared me, though. He said, I want you to name your son Nobody. What? Nobody? Really? Nobody? And he said, here's why. I was getting tired of the here's why, I'm telling you. And he said, because Israel looks at me as a nobody. And now I will look at you as a nobody. Jezreel, no mercy, and nobody. There's a group of names for you. But they were my kids. And I love them just the same. Completely. You know, it's interesting because I still remember the day. Like I came home and uh, the kids were playing on the floor and I, I knelt down, played with them for a little bit, said I love you. Like I always had, I had to say like 50,000 times a day just be, so they knew that the names wasn't anything personal for me. It was totally not me. Um, and I think they, for the most part, believed that I loved them because I did. And uh, I, it was kind of different. It was odd. That day, very simply because Gomer usually was in and out when I was doing that, and I hadn't seen her yet. I hadn't seen where she was, and so I kind of looked down the hallway. I asked the kids, like, have you seen your mom? And they're like, no. And so I went outside, came back inside, and I was walking through the hallway, and uh, I saw the note. I saw the note on my side of the bed. Actually, I kept the note. It wasn't descriptive. It wasn't a lot of words. It wasn't eloquent. It wasn't poetic. It simply said, I'm leaving. Please don't try to find me. I was speechless. Which is odd for someone who's supposed to know what to say and how to say it and when to say it. I felt defeated. I felt deflated. I felt anger. I felt rage. I felt sad. I felt depressed. I, I was all over the place. Nothing could have prepared me for how bad that was going to hurt. Nothing. And then I began to go in my mind, what did I do wrong? I mean, did I not clean up after myself? Did I leave my underwear on her side of the floor one too many times? Did I, what could it have been? 
I mean, I had wined her. I dined her. I bought her jewelry. We sat late into the night talking. I even learned all of her love languages and spoke them fluently. Why would she leave? What was I going to tell the kids? The next couple of weeks were really, really hard time. I shut the blinds. I really didn't care about anything anymore. The kids saw me at the worst. My worst. Definitely my worst. And then I got angry. I got mad. I started to yell. And I started to have a conversation with it. I was, God, please. I don't understand this. This was your plan. I was completely faithful to her, but she cheated. And then the Lord unloaded on me a ton of bricks. And it wasn't his anger, but it was his love. He began to pour out his hurt for us as a nation that we had left him a completely faithful God for other lovers who weren't really lovers. How we had settled for cheap gods, for all these empty things that we were trying to fill ourselves with, but just finding ourselves more empty and more empty and more empty when all he wanted to do was fill us. And then he flipped it on me. I did not see this coming. He said, uh, Hosea, I want to tell you something about Jezreel. And uh, if you remember correctly, Jezreel was named after a valley of mass murder. Uh, he said, Hosea, what I'm about to do is that valley that was known for generations by mass murder, I'm going to restore Israel there. And for generations to come, Jezreel will be associated with hope. Okay. Alright, I can deal with that. Now, you do know I have two other kids, right, Lord? Right? He said, Hosea, I want you to rename your daughter Mercy. I was like, for real? You're not, you're not joking. I can drop the no. He said, yeah. Because I'm about to show a rebellious people mercy. Undeserved. And I was thinking, okay, I got a third son. I got a third child. How do we rename nobody? I mean, body's not much of a cooler name. I mean, dropping the no wouldn't really do anything here. He said, I want you to rename nobody somebody. Here's why. Because there will be a day when Israel sees me as somebody again. And I see you as somebody. And is there really a better name when the Lord sees you as somebody? There's really no other name you want. So Jezreel, a place of hope, mercy, and somebody. Now, it still left the issue of uh, my cheating wife. I wasn't exactly sure how to approach this. But the Lord said, I want you to go after her. 
It's like, all right. But then he added this. He said, I want you to know something. Things have gotten so bad for Gomer that she's actually had to sell herself into slavery. She is owned by someone else right now, and you are going to have to buy her back. I said, no, she's my wife. I should be able to walk in there and take her out of there. God said, no. And he was very persistent about this. He would not let me drop this. He said, there is to be a price that is paid. It will be a price that is paid once and for all. You will buy your wife back. All right. As many times as he told me to do that, I, I had it. I got it. I get it. I took the kids over to a friend's house. And I, uh, I said, kids, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go for a little bit. I don't, you know, I don't know. It could be forever. And they were like, well, how long are you going to be gone? And I said, as long as it takes to bring your mother home. <laughs> I said it just like that. I said it like a superhero. It was awesome. I felt really strong at that moment. Um, but uh, the media was having a heyday with this. I mean, I was aware of all of Gomer's lovers because they were posting pictures of her new lover of the week all over the place. And then I saw the article that said, Gomer hits new low, sells self to highest bidder. I knew where she was, so I went. I remember walking onto the property and kind of standing at the fence, just kind of getting myself psyched up. I was like, you can do this, 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 you can do this. Walked up to the door and I kicked it down. I said, who's in charge here? I'm here to buy my wife back. Spices, grain, silver. I didn't care the cost. I was paying it. I was going to pay to buy her back. After I paid the price, I remember walking out. They pointed me in her direction. She was outside. She was working. She was in the dirt. And uh, I saw her. I knew she saw me, but she wouldn't look at me. She didn't make eye contact with me. I could see it on her. I could see this regret and the shame and this guilt that, that we tend to hold on to when we go places that we never meant to go. I could see it all over her. And my heart was exploding for her. I remember just kind of kneeling down and she wouldn't stop working. I was just, I just watched her. I didn't know what to say. What do you say? I sat there and just watched and then I just I just grabbed her hand and I said let's go home on the walk home she didn't say anything she didn't have much to say and I was fine with that as we were walking home, I, I got to tell her the great news about our kids. I was like, guess what? Our kids got new names. We talked about everything. Well, I did most of the talking. Actually, I did all of the talking. She just listened. 
And you know, the coolest part was, is that, I didn't care if she was saying anything or not. We were home. She was home. And I really felt like this time was for good. You know, the funny or sad part about all of this is that in this whole process of us trying to fill ourselves with these cheap gods, we pursue them and they leave us empty. But yet the one who pursues us wants to fill us, to overflow. I hope a generation not yet born gets this. I hope you get this.